0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Body, one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He was a good southerner, right? In you all. So here we are in the text talking about God has brought us together as a body of Christ, unified us. For the particular purpose that we would experience together, not just peace, not just love, but that we would enable one another and help each other to grow in our relationship with Christ. And he picks that up in verse 7 by talking about spiritual giftedness. Notice how he says it in verse 7. He says, but to each one, that is each of us, he says, grace was given According to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we're not talking about grace, keros, in the sense that you receive grace and your salvation. Praise God you did. Amen. When you were saved, you, the grace of God washed over you. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Because no one in this room deserves salvation. Yet he saved us. He gave us his grace. Hallelujah. That he did that. But here the grace that he's talking about is an enablement, is an ability. It is something that he is giving us in order to carry out what he is calling Christ's gifts. That is, we would refer, we would understand it in the context of spiritual giftedness. So, what he's saying to us in verse seven is that every one of us in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been gifted, and God has gifted us in order. That we would grow. Now notice he goes on in the text. Verse 8. Therefore he says. When he ascended on high. He led captivity captive. And he gave gifts to men. Now this. Verse 9. He ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descends is also the one who ascended far above the heavens. That he might fill all things. We'll come back to that in a minute. I hope you'll understand it when we leave here. And he himself gave some, verse 11, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teacher. You say, oh, you took out an. Yes, I did. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, there it is, that's the word building up. For the edifying of the body of Christ till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love. May grow up, there it is, in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, verse 16, for whom the whole body being joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth. There it is. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You and I, need to understand this morning that as he begins to talk to us in verse 7 and down through the text of verse 11, begins to talk about that we grow because we've been gifted to do so. You and I have received a spiritual gift. That's what he begins to say in verse 7, that you and I have been graced by God through the Lord Jesus Christ and given a gift, a spiritual gift. Now, a spiritual gift is not something that's just a mere talent. You know, we got a confusion today about spiritual giftedness. Some will say, well, you know, this person can play the piano. Yeah, they're talented, or we call it gifted to play the piano. It may not necessarily be the spiritual giftedness. Because the spiritual giftedness has what, what it says, the spirit behind it. Amen? So the spiritual giftedness is something that is empowered, I believe, by the Holy Spirit of God to enable you to accomplish it. Some people say, I don't know how you've probably gotten this, David. I don't know how you stand up in there and preach week after week. I'd be scared to death to do that. I do that because God has empowered me. God has given me a spiritual giftedness in order to be able to stand up and to exegete the word of God and to preach the truth. God has given me that gift. It's not something that I just conjured up one day and said, I think I'm going to do this. It's actually something I fought God on, something I really didn't want to do. I was thinking the other day, Hannah and I were talking about some, some things in my past. She said, you know, Daddy, you know, What about this? What about that? And I said, you know, one of the interesting things is God has always thrusted me in front of people. I never wanted to be in front of people. When I went to basic training, for example, I, I knew the key to basic training was to lay low. Right? Don't be noticed. Don't let the drill sergeant see you. All right? That was the key to basic training. Don't do anything stupid and lay low. And so that's what I did. I went to basic training, and I know, I know, I know some of you guys were thinking, you're Air Force, you know, that was like going to club meeting. I understand what y'all are thinking, but, but you know, Air Force basic was not, not easy, was it Chuck, it was, it, they worked us, didn't they, I mean, we had to march, we had to learn all those fundamentals, you know, they yelled at us, in a soft voice, but they yelled at us, you know, but, you know, my, my goal was to, you know, stay under the radar. I didn't want to be seen, you know. And about the third day in, um, I hear my name called out. And I'm like, what did I do? You know, you're trying to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, what did I do? And I go into the, the, the TI's office. We call them training instructors. Went into the TI's office, and he says, uh, you're now going to be the dorm chief. I'm like, excuse me? Do Do what? In other words, I was going to be in charge of all the guys that were there assigned in that squadron, that area. I was in charge of all those guys while the drill sergeant was gone for the night. I didn't want that job, and I told him I don't want to do that. He goes, I'm not asking if you want to. I'm telling you you're going to. All my life, God has been pushing me there. Why has God been doing that? Because God was lining me up and gifting me to do what I do today, to stand up here and preach the Word, to get up in front of people and do that. Listen, that's not something I chose. It's something God did. And listen, your spiritual gift is not something that you chose. It's something God has given you with. Listen, and he did that according to what Paul says in verse 7. He did that by the gifting that you received from Jesus himself. Amen? He gave gifts. Now, you say, what gives Jesus the right to give gifts? Well, that's what verses 8 through 10 are all about. When he talks about he who ascended, also descended, what he's trying to help us to understand is that Jesus has every right to gift you with what he wants to gift you with and not give you something that you may desire. He has every right to do that because listen, he's the one that left heaven and came to earth and lowered himself and became a man. And he lived as a man and he suffered as a man, bearing your sin and my sin in his own flesh on the cross of Calvary. The Bible said he who knew no sin became sin for us. He literally was the sacrifice that brings appeasement between God and us. He did nothing wrong, yet he suffered as if he did. The Bible said he descended, but he's also ascended. That is, not only did Jesus live an earthly life, he was killed, buried. He rose again on the third day, praise his holy name. He also ascended back to heaven. Amen? What gives Jesus the right? Listen, he sprinkled the mercy seat of God with the blood of his own self. Amen? That's what gives him the right. And you don't have a right to say to God, well, God, I wish I was the preacher. You don't have a right to say that. And besides, this is the fun part. You don't want to come during the week. Amen? (laughs) I'm just being honest. All right? So God gives us the gift in this, and he gives us the abilities that he gives us in order that he would grace us. But listen, not only did God do that for every individual But he did that for us collectively as a church. That is that there are some guys, some people in the church, and I said guys deliberately, there's some men in the church that God has gifted for the specific reason to better the whole church in that their giftedness is designed for public ministry. Now, you're saying, how is that to be the case? And that's pretty self-serving. Well, it may be. But listen to what the text says. We're not going to elaborate anymore on verses 8, 9, and 10 because I think you get the gist. He ascended, he descended, and we're not going to get into all the argumentations in between how people interpret that. Just understand that he left heaven, he came to earth, he lived his life, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and he ascended back to the Father, paying all that, penalty for you in order that you'd be right and reconciled unto God. That's what you need to know this morning. And as a result of that, he gives you the gift that you have, but he also gives the church. Notice collectively in verse 11, he said, and he also gave some to be apostles and some prophets. And I want to stop right there. Those are no longer given. Those are foundational gifts. Ephesians 2.20, right in the margin of your Bible, they are foundational that is, that God gave them to the early church. When we look at the apostles of Jesus Christ, we look at the fact that Peter, James, and John and the list of guys, and then Paul, born is one, at, born out of due time, we're foundational. That is, they helped found the church. Listen, Jesus is himself... Paul said in Ephesians 2.1, being the chief cornerstone. But all this is laid on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, foundational gifts. Then he gives two other gifts. Notice in the text, he gives these gifts. He says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Then here it is: some evangelists and some pastor teacher. Now, when he talking about some evangelists, listen. Think about the mission. Think about what Christ has called us to do in making disciples. The, the beginning steps of making disciples is as we're going, we're making disciples. Where does discipleship begin? It begins with the gospel. It begins with salvation. It begins by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are gifted men who are evangelists. That is, they can go and they can talk to somebody that may seem hard-hearted to us, and they will give their life to Jesus. But then there's times where you and I may try, and they don't seem to give their heart to the Lord. I mean, it's like this person is so gifted by God that they are seeing a lot of people come to faith in Christ through their ministry. Why is that happening? Because God's promoting him? No. It's because he's got a better casting of a net than we got? No. He's spiritually gifted. God is using him to help lead people to Jesus Christ. Listen, he's using the ministry of the preaching of the word through that guy, that particular man, in order to win people to himself. That's what he's doing. That's incredible to me that God would do that. That God would have the gift. And I think that gift's still available. You know, and when we think about evangelists, too many times we think about bringing somebody to the church. I'm going to bring an evangelist in. And he's going to preach. And people are going to get saved. Well, bless God, that's okay to do once in a while and have revivals and things of that nature. But listen, this is external. This is an external gift. This is to go outside the body of the Christ and go out there into the world and begin being an evangelist and preaching the gospel to lost people. You say, why? That's where lost people are at. Right? They're usually not sitting on the pew. Although there could be some lost people here today. I realize that. And I hope if you're one of those persons that the Holy Spirit of God will convict you today and draw you to Christ. And you'll be saved today. Then you won't be in that category anymore. But the reality is, there is... That gift of evangelist. But then there is what I'm calling the pastor-teacher. New King James says pastor and teacher. Like it's two different ones. But it's one that he brings together if you look at it from an original idea. It is a pastor-teacher. What is the job of the pastor? The primary job of the pastor is to be a teacher of the Word of God. My responsibility is what Peter, James, and John said why they, they got deacons for. They got deacons so that they could stay, what, studying the Word, and in prayer. Why? Because the primary responsibility was to go before the congregation and give them a word from God. Wouldn't it be a sad thing on Sunday morning if you came and I didn't have a word from God? That'd be pretty sad, wouldn't it? Amen? Some of y'all say, well, good, we get out early. We just sing a couple songs and go home. But that's not the... that's. Listen, we don't gather on Sunday morning just for the singing and the worship of that. Amen? We gather to hear a word from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And listen, when I say that, I'm not saying because, man, I got a corner market. I'm saying that because that's what this book says. Amen. What I'm telling you this morning is pastor teacher is a gift by God for the betterment of the church. Why? Because God has given that gift. And what thus saith the Lord is what's written on this page black and white. It's not what Mike Foreman interprets it to be or thinks it to be. It's what the Bible says. That's the thus saith the Lord. And we've got to be careful, by the way. Let's not be flippant in saying thus saith the Lord and then come off with something, you know, because we don't want to do God that way. We want to treat God with respect. Amen. And we want to make sure when I stand up here and say thus saith the Lord, that it is thus saith the Lord. Amen. It's not me. So he gives these pastor teachers. So he has gifted us. Listen, by his grace, he has gifted every single one of us in this room individually, praise God, you got a gift. You say, the preacher, I don't know what it is. Hey, you know what? You know how you find your, let me, let me just tell you. You know how you find your gift? You start serving. You get engaged in ministry. Oh, you can go to Lifeway and look up spiritual gift tests and you can do a spiritual gift analysis and all that stuff. Let me tell you something, that's man-made. What you need to do is you need to start serving God. You need to start asking the Lord, 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 help me to discover where you've gifted me and begin to serve. Where are some of your passions? Where do they lie? Perhaps that may be where your gifts found, amen? But some of you will never experience your gift if you don't serve God. You know, it's through serving God that those gifts rise to the surface. It's pretty interesting because listen, it has an objective and a subjective way. In other words, subjectively we can say, God's called me to preach. God's called me to be a pastor. But let me tell you something. When I surrendered to the ministry, when God finally wrestled with me in the pew, and I finally said, Lord, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do this. When I went forward and said to my pastor, God's been wrestling with me, here's the words out of his mouth. He said, Well, it's about time. I've been praying. I've been seeing God working in your life. See, subjectively, I said it. God's called me to be a pastor. Objectively, the leadership in that church said, We see God doing that. You see what I'm saying? So the same thing. Listen, same thing with your spiritual gift. You may say, hey, I'm, I'm gifted to serve. Then listen, get involved and start serving, and God will use godly leaders and people around you to help say, you know what? God may be using you here, there, whatever, whatever, whatever. You see what I'm saying? Get engaged. Get engaged. I wasn't planning on spending this much time here, but <clears throat> spiritual gift is given to us individually. Listen, collectively. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, why collectively in a minute. But I want you to write these verses down because I don't have time to talk about them. But you want to know what some of the gifts are and you've never seen them before, here they are. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. The second place you find spiritual gifts is in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Romans 12, 6 through 8. And then here in Ephesians 4.11, he gives us what I'm calling a collective gift, that is, to the church. He's giving us this particular gift to the church in order that we may see some things happen. Now, remember, we're talking about together we what? We grow. We grow together. Well, how does that begin to happen? Well, as we analyze these gifts that he's given to the church, look in verse 12. He tells us, first of all, the purpose of the gift. He said he gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, why? Why do you have a pastor? Why do you have a pastor of the church? What is the purpose of the pastor? If we were to say, what is the office of the pastor? What is the primary responsibility? Why did God give pastors to churches? Why is it when they went out and Paul went out in missionary journeys, why did he appoint men to be pastors of churches? Here's why. Listen to what he says. To What? Equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the first point and the first reason why we collectively have pastors given to the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice it didn't say for the pastor to do the work of the ministry. It's for the pastor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know why? Because there's not one single pastor or staff of pastors, and I don't care how large of a church it is, there's not a single church that has enough pastors to accomplish the mission and to do all the work. Amen? That's impossible to happen. It takes us collectively together in order to accomplish the mission. I cannot do women's ministry. Praise God, I'm not in children's ministry. Amen? Thank God for that. Thank God even more that I don't have to preach to the youth every Wednesday night. That scares me to death. You know? It takes all of us together to accomplish that. But God has given me In order that we would be able to preach the word, exegetically preach it, in order that you would be equipped. That you would see the word of God and you would say, you know what? This is the calling as a believer. This is what I need to do as a follower of Jesus. And then engage in that truth. Amen? So it's the equipping of the saints. It's that discipleship aspect of it. But then it's it's not only that. But notice too, it's also about, in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But it's also about edifying the body of Christ. Now, this is the first words that he's going to use about building up the body of Christ. Now, he is not, and pastors get too focused on this, he is not talking about numbers. And pastors, you know, we get worried about numbers because, you know, we get to think, well, are people going to see numbers up or down? And, you know, they're going to be upset. Numbers up and down, you know, like we're on Wall Street, you know, and, the ticker tape is running, and so we're all going to get out of shape if we're, you know, less people this week than we had last week and all that stuff, you know. So pastors sometimes get, that's not what he's talking about. Here he's talking about spiritual impact. What he's talking about here is, are people in the church growing and being built up to be more like Jesus Christ? In other words, in the 11 years that I've been your pastor, are there people who sit out in those pews, who are different than 11 years ago? Do they look different? They look more like Jesus now than they did 11 years ago. That's the measuring stick. We cannot measure by attendance. We have to measure by spiritual giftedness and growth. Are you growing in Jesus? Can you say 11 years later, I am more like Jesus than I was 11 years ago? And if that's not the case... And I apologize, I'm not doing my job. Because that's what it ought to be like. That's the measuring stick. That's what it ought to be about. Because it doesn't matter how many people are on the pews 11 years later. It's about how many people are walking like Jesus. And so he says, for you and I, it is about equipping the saints, he says, for the work of the ministry. So you would do the work of the ministry. That you would do the children's ministry. And you would serve people in the church in order that... We ultimately listen for the edify, for the building of the body of Christ. Now, notice the results of that. Why is it so crucial what I do every Sunday? People don't misunderstand. You know, I get all these jokes about time and, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, people, you know, your mind will only uh, absorb what your seat can endure and all those good things, you know. But what's the primary purpose? What's the, What's the point of the pastor standing up here week after week? It's not just to bore you, all right? But here's the point. Notice what Paul says. He gives us the reason for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, verse 12, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that, verse 13, first of all, that we would come to a unity of faith. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, what he said, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that is a mature man, he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, here's what's supposed to be happening. The pastor's responsibility in verse 13 is this, that we are coming to a unity of faith. That is, that we're saying the same thing about the Bible. Amen? That we come together and we're saying the same thing about the truth of the Word of God. Now, I understand there are people who are sitting on these pews today who will differ with me on the idea of maybe spiritual giftedness. Or may differ with me about, you know, is there a rapture at the beginning of the tribulation or after? There are going to be some variants and some differences. But when it comes to the what I would call the cardinal doctrines of the faith, there is no variance, my friend. If Jesus Christ is not born of a virgin and you don't believe that, then we cannot have fellowship and we cannot have a unified church. Amen? If you don't believe that Jesus was sinless, then we cannot have a unified church. You get the point? If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only means by which God will accept mankind and the only sacrifice that's acceptable by God. Then listen, we cannot have fellowship and unity as a church. So the the point is that I would stand up and exegete and preach the word and teach the word in such a way that we come to a unity of faith. Listen, not unified with my faith, unified with the biblical truth. And how many times have we been confronted with that? Amen? How many times in my own life have I had to stand corrected by God because I looked at something a little wrong and had to change what I believed. Listen, I've never changed any cardinal doctrines, let me tell you, and I'm not planning on changing any of them. Why? Because then you can't be saved. Can't be a Christian. <clears throat> Amen? So the first thing is that you and I, we, we would be unified in the faith. And listen, how does that look? Verse 13, he tells us, it looks like Jesus. He says coming to the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, knowledge there is not the idea of me coming with this knowledge that Jesus existed. You know, I believe in the fact that he rose from the dead. That's not, he's going beyond the gospel. He's talking about that same thing he talked about in Philippians when he said, you know, to know Christ. That that is that have this intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you just to know that Jesus is the only way. I don't want you just to know that Jesus was sinless, that he was born of a virgin. I don't want you just to know those things. I want you to know Jesus intimately. Have a relationship with him. That's what it looks like. When we're equipping the saints and we're edifying the saints, then there is a unity of the faith by which people are falling in love and walking with the Son of God. And listen, they become the perfect man. That's a bad interpretation in the New King James. That should be a maturing man. That is that we are maturing in our faith. And how are we maturing? to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, every day I am pressing on to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. That's my goal. That's my pursuit. My pursuit is not to look like other preachers. My pursuit is not to look like great preachers of the past. My pursuit is to look like my Savior Jesus. Amen? That's the pursuit. And when the pastor is doing his job, that's where people are headed. That's what people are doing. Amen? Amen? Notice the second thing, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So here's the next thing, sound doctrine. So not only a unity of faith, we believe the same thing, but now we're going to believe sound doctrine. Amen? That is, we're going to believe the truth about the word of God, and doctrinally, we're going to be sound. That is, we're not going to be tossed to and fro. Listen, I don't want to say this without just saying it, but I'm just going to say it. Some of y'all need to get off the television and quit listening to every preacher that's on the television. Amen? Some of y'all need to do that. And if you're going to be on the television and then find and select some ones that are biblically sound. All right? But I'm here to tell you, guys like Joel Osteen are not biblically sound. They may make you feel good, and if I've offended you, I'm sorry, but they are, they are there just to make you feel good. The devil comes as an angel of light, amen? And you know, you're know, you saying, well, he does you know, put some truth in there. Yes, yeah, some truth. You know why? Because the devil does do that. The devil gives a little truth here and a little truth there in order that he can pull the wool over your eyes. Don't forget that when the Bible talked about false prophets and false teachers coming in the church, they didn't disguise them as wolves. They disguised themselves as sheep and wolves. You know, so we got people out there that are listening to junk and you got to quit listening to the junk. And listen to the truth because it'll pull you astray. Listen. And he's not the only one. I don't have time to list list them all for you this morning. If you want to know about somebody, just ask me. I'm not afraid to tell you. But we want to come to a place in our church where we're doctrinally sound. Amen. Unity of the faith. But we're doctrinally sound. We don't want to believe lies. And notice the lies come. He says in verse 14, he said they come about by every wind of doctrine. See, people, they'll flow from this to this to this to this. And it's like whatever's popular, that's what they're listening to. And they're going back and forth, back and forth at every wind of doctrine. And they're doing that by the trickery and the cunning deceitfulness of people. I can make you believe anything if I can craft it in just a little bit of truth, I can twist your head. Be careful. Then ultimately, notice verse 15. The work ought to be of the pastor, not just to bring us to a unity of the faith, not just to bring us into sound doctrine, but lastly, to speak the truth in love. That is, I'm supposed to be equipping you and teaching you to go out there into the world and speak the truth in love. Quit being Bible thumpers. Quit hating everybody. Amen? And let's speak, let's speak the truth in love. There are people who need Christ. And they will not come to Christ if we get in the way of not speaking the truth in love. But speak the truth in love, and that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Don't forget, love is crucial. It's important. Within the context of the church, as we grow in Christ, we speak the truth in love. But here's the good news. God has not only gifted us to grow as a result of his church. But do you realize that as I have a responsibility for the growth of the church, so do you? You're saying, what? I didn't know that. Oh, well, he just slammed me. He just said, okay, he gave pastors, teachers for equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry. He gave the the church that. But then he says in verse 16, notice how he talks about growth in, in there. He begins to talk about growth individually. He says, from whom... That is, as we're talking about Christ being the head from whom, he said, the whole body, that's you and me, joined and knitted together. Don't you love it? That's the idea of suturing. It's the idea of a doctor taking and suturing something together. He takes and he sutures you and I together. Maybe grotesque, but it's the reality of the word. That's what he's talking about there. So God takes and he joins us together by knitting and, or suturing us together. And then he says this, by what every joint supplies. So at every junction point where you and I are sutured together, at every junction point, what are we providing well, you're providing what God in Christ gave you, your spiritual gift. You're exercising that. You're serving in the church using your spiritual gift because he has knitted us together in the body of Christ. And listen, God has given us pastor teacher. But listen, he's also given us some people with compassion gifts. Amen. He's given us some, some service gifts in the church. And so you've got these giftedness that they come together. And he says, by what every joint supplies, that's every person that is brought together, what are you supplying? For most churches, 20% are supplying, the rest are not. But by every joint is supplying. Notice what he says, according to the effective working, doesn't sound like our work, sounds like his work, but according to the effective working by which every part does its share. No excuse to sit on a pew if you're a Christian. Every part does its share. And as a result of that, let's wind it down. Which every part does its share causes, here's the result, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If the church don't grow it may not be the pastor. You ever thought about that? Oh, he doesn't preach well enough. He doesn't sing well enough. He doesn't visit enough. He doesn't do this enough. He doesn't do that enough. We begin to point the finger at the leadership. But here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is we need to point the finger at ourselves. Because sometimes we're too lazy to do what God's called us to do. And because we're too lazy to exercise the gift God's called us to do, the church doesn't edify itself. That is, it's not being built up from within and growing. Why? Because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing not always the preacher's fault. Although I have to admit, sometimes we do get in the way quite a bit. <laughs> Amen? Thank you for not amending me back. <laughs> Let me close with this. I found this from one pastor. He sort of summed it up, this whole idea. Listen to what he says. He says, I think this idea that being together as one body... That we become stronger is the reason why believers can't just listen to podcast sermons or pray in the woods or sing worship songs in the shower. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, those things are great things and we should do them. But we also need to be together physically, mentally, emotionally, and regularly. He said, because the body of Christ, the church, is not the sermon or the songs or the prayer, church, is the people. And together as one, we grow. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.